Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. If you're a politics junkie, you need to be listening to the Election Ride Home podcast. Every day at 5 p.m., former This American Life contributor Chris Higgins reports from the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction and what do the polls say? Search your podcast app now for Ride Home and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast. Stories and content in weird darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. The quiet community of Guilford, Ontario is sheltered from all that's wrong in the world. Nothing ever seems to happen here. The only excitement comes from the few amenities in this little village, a general store, your local hairdresser, a marina, and a golf course. Violence, if any, is very minimal, and crime is limited to misdemeanors that rarely hit the news. It was this perceived tranquility that led Jody to make Guilford, Ontario, Canada her home. She would soon find out that beneath the placid surface of this Lake Simcoe community was an undercurrent of tragedy. When she arrived about 15 years ago, she never dreamed that the home she chose on Lake Simcoe might have in fact chosen her. But she does now. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos! This is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… Dealing with the paranormal is already unsettling. What if you were to learn that the supernatural has actually been feeding on you? Newlywed couples planning a trip to Venice envision romantic walkways and Renaissance art. What they don't expect to find is an island that is illegal to set foot on, and for good reason. Weirdo family member Burbella shares an experience her grandmother had on an icy road. Sometimes a prisoner is let free, with experts of the opinion he has been completely rehabilitated. Sometimes they're right, often they are wrong, and in the case of Jack Unterwedger, releasing him was the worst thing that could ever have been done. Jody smiled at the children playing in her backyard. She didn't know them, they were probably the neighbor's kids. 
At least, that's what she thought at first, until she began to notice something disturbing about those children. We begin with that story. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. In the first year of living in her peaceful house in Guilford, Ontario, Jody never noticed anything unusual. Then, one warm, sunny day while working in her sewing room, Jody found herself distracted by children's laughter in her backyard. She made her way to the window, and there she watched two young kids playing joyfully with each other. She smiled at the youthful antics as she reminisced about her own childhood but the smile upon her face faded she began to notice that something wasn't quite right. I suddenly realized they weren't local kids because they were dressed in period clothes, clothes from a hundred years ago, Jody remembers. The little girl wore a dress with a petticoat underneath, a pretty ribbon on her hair, and shoes that weren't from our era. The boy had short pants with an old-fashioned plaid shirt and suspenders. Jody stood frozen at the window and just watched the strange sight before her eyes. The children continued to play as if they hadn't a care in the world. Jody didn't dare move, afraid that if she did, the children would notice her and disappear. The one thing that sticks out in Jody's memory is how real the children looked. They weren't translucent or misty. You couldn't see through them. It was just like two flesh-and-blood kids stepped out of the past to play in my yard. Their visits became frequent through the years. Jody could never understand why they had chosen her backyard as their personal playground. She herself didn't have any children, so no playing equipment or toys could be found on her yard, and yet it was there that she would always see them. In recent years, the visitations have become less frequent and Jody has begun to miss them. I was never scared of the ghosts, she says, somewhat wistfully. It's actually scarier when you don't see them than when you do. You begin to wonder what happened to them, to worry as if they were real children. Who were these children? What were their names? What tragedy cut their lives short? We'll probably never know. There are some hints, however. The clothes Jody describes definitely sound Victorian, corresponding to the late 19th century. This was a period when simple childhood illnesses, influenza, smallpox, and measles could and would frequently rampage through a household claiming the small and weak one after another. It's possible that the young boy and girl were siblings who were tragically struck down by the same illness. The untimely nature of their deaths tied them here, where they continue to play out their childhoods in a familiar environment. In light of how close Jody's property is to Lake Simcoe, it's also possible that the waters might have claimed their lives. Certainly that's the fate one sensitive saw for them. For Jody, it didn't matter who they were or where they came from. Having them play in her backyard was something she actually looked forward to. Their less frequent visitations 
could be a sign that the children are growing up, that they have now experienced their full childhood and are ready to cross over to the other side. We all have to grow up sometime, even ghosts. For Jody, the day they leave for good will be a sad time. Her life will feel emptier, her house quieter, and surely she will miss them. But one thing she will always have is the fond memories of the out-of-time children that chose her backyard as their playground. The world around us is not as it appears to be. In fact, far from it. As we go about our daily business, working and living our lives, behind the scenes something dark and dangerous is taking place, and it has been going on since the dawn of civilization. Most people remain oblivious to the truth and don't even realize it. Now and again, however, someone will stumble upon the startling reality that, potentially, affects and dictates the lives of just about all of us. What am I talking about? Nothing less than a monstrous collection of supernatural entities that terrify and torment us, and have done so for millennia. They do far more than that, however. They feed upon us. Like bloated, paranormal leeches, they suck us dry as they seek to fuel themselves with our psychic energy, high states of emotion, sexual energy, and the human life force. They hate and despise us, but paradoxically they cannot live without us. Have you ever woken up drained and utterly exhausted from a terrifying nightmare that didn't seem like just another regular bad dream? If the answer is yes, then you may have been fed upon by these infernal things. When we sleep, we are at our most vulnerable and that's exactly how they want us. A dream is not always a dream, as strange as that might sound. Sometimes it is an indication that as you sleep and as your guard is down, these voraciously hungry monsters are, in essence, eating you. Among these creatures are the shadow people, hostile things that typically manifest between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. and who have the ability to paralyze us and drain our bodies of energy in much the same way that the vampires of folklore would drain people of blood. In fact, such distorted tales of vampirism almost certainly had their origins in the worlds and actions of these multidimensional beings. In a paper he prepared years ago, Jason Offit wrote, in part, Like the men in black, the hat man has floated in the periphery of our lives for decades, observing our movements occasionally interacting with us, but always threatening. Charles was 13 years old in 1949 and lived with his mother, brother, and grandmother in San Jose, California when the hat man crept into his life. He lay in bed with his brother, talking before they drifted off to sleep, when the window sash moved. A dark figure dressed in a black cloak and wearing a black hat with a wide brim appeared in the window, Charles said. No facial features were discernible on this person, but I took it to be a man. This hat man opened the window and reached through with both hands. I thought he was going to climb in, Charles said. At that moment, I started yelling my head off. 
As Charles's young voice pierced the night, the hat man closed the window, turned, and disappeared from sight. The next morning, Charles saw the window was locked from the inside. I saw something, Charles said. What in the hell was it? Equally dangerous are what can accurately be termed supernatural seducers. Dangerous entities that thrive on sexual energy are also part of the equation. A highly charged sexual dream may be deliberately initiated by such things, which over the centuries have been referred to as incubus, succubus, Lilith, and the old hag. Also relevant to this angle is the reason why so many supernatural encounters occur at so-called lover's lane locations. In these cases, voyeurism and sexual emotion led to feeding. Indeed, at such lover's lanes, we can find numerous encounters with the likes of Bigfoot, Mothman, Goatmen, and even aliens. Poltergeists, violent entities that can cause chaos in the home and who delight in tormenting us much as they are energized by us, are also part of the equation, as are thought forms and tulpas, creatures created within the human mind and the depth of our imaginations, but which can be externalized and given a strange form of life in the real world. Key to the survival of tulpas and thought forms is that we believe in them. The stronger our belief, the greater the ability of the tulpas to live. In other words, they feed on and coldly and carefully nurture our belief systems. Then there is the Slender Man, a sinister figure which started out as an internet experiment, but which has mutated drastically in the last few years to the extent that numerous people report having seen the Slender Man in the real world. It's a perfect example of a modern-day tulpa, thought form running wild in our reality. Witnesses describe seeing the scrawny, black-suited figure looming over their beds in the dead of night, extracting energy, and dining in a fashion that we don't even want to think about. The men in black fall into this category, too. Those who have had UFO encounters and who have been visited by the pale-faced ghouls known as the MIB state that while being threatened and intimidated by men in black, they have felt cold, clammy, weak, and lightheaded. As many of the unfortunate witnesses have stated, it's as if the MIB are draining them in the same way that a flashlight drains a battery. And using the same analogy, when the light finally goes out, we do too. To slightly alter the words of Charles Fort, the stark and terrifying truth is that our planet may well be one big farm and for these energy-based entities, we are the cattle. More Weird Darkness coming up. If you're a loyal listener of Weird Darkness, I'd like to invite you to become an official weirdo. For as little as 5 bucks per month, you'll get the daily commercial-free version of Weird Darkness, exclusive news about the podcast, special offers only available to official weirdos, and even a lapel pin telling the world that you are an official weirdo. You can learn about becoming an official weirdo at WeirdDarkness.com. And a huge thanks to our newest patron, Donna Letourneau. Thank you so much, Donna, for believing in the podcast and wanting to support me. Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? 
Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by MyPillow. Weirdo family member Kitty sent me an email saying, My husband works out of state the majority of the time, and when he left, he wanted to take his MyPillow with him. That's how much he loves his. Right now, you can get two premium MyPillows for one low price. Go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code WEIRD or call 800-945-7192. That's 800-945-7192 or MyPillow.com. Promo code WEIRD. Depression comes to all of us at times. I know personally, as I suffer from depression myself and have most of my life. But if you can't seem to get out of it, you're not alone. Call 1-800-273-8255. They'll show you a way out of your depression, even if you're trying to deal with it through drugs or alcohol. With the FMLA, you can take a leave of absence from your job and return to it once you've found help. Call 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Hey, weirdos! Check out the latest design in the Weird Darkness store. If you're proud to be a Weird Darkness weirdo, you will love the brand new Proud to be a Weirdo design. Grab a classic Proud to be a Weirdo t-shirt, and you'll also get the Weird Darkness logo on the back. So you'll be spreading the word about Weird Darkness both coming and going. Buy some onesies for the newborns in your family or your friends who are new parents. Let them wonder what kind of influence you're trying to be on their up-to-now happy family. Show your office mates that you're even more weird than they thought you were with a Proud to be a Weirdo coffee mug. Bring your laptop to school or work in a Proud to be a Weirdo computer bag so the bullies will stop picking on the nerds and begin picking on you instead. A Proud to be a Weirdo phone case will make you look stylish while calling 911 to report being mugged by bullies who wanted your Proud to be a Weirdo computer bag. Get a Proud to be a Weirdo pillow to rest on after being pummeled by all of those nerds who are now mad at you for taking their spot in the hierarchy of coolness and uncoolness. Get a Proud to be a Weirdo tote bag so you can smuggle in a bunch of Proud to be a Weirdo stickers to school or work so you can tell those bullies to stick it. Visit WeirdDarkness.com store to check out all of the Weird Darkness designs. That's WeirdDarkness.com slash store. Weird Darkness and Darren Marlar are not responsible for any physical or psychological violence you may experience from those who say you're weird but are probably just jealous because you're so dadgum attractive after shopping in the Weird Darkness store. Known as one of the most illegal places one could, but really shouldn't, visit, Bovilia Island sits just off the coast of northern Italy near Venice. When most people began planning a trip to that part of the world, images of romantic walkways and Renaissance art come to mind. Haunted islands, on the other hand, generally don't rank very high on anybody's must-see vacation list. 
but some visitors are still curious about the small, infamous Italian island that once hosted thousands of refugee Black Plague victims, serving as a quarantine island for those who were even suspected of harboring the bacteria. The island remains one of the most haunted places in Italy, and despite the fact that it is illegal to visit Boviglia, thrill-seekers continue to consider it a cool, albeit creepy, destination. However, everyone who has taken the chance of stepping foot on the island has left with absolutely no desire to ever return. The Italian island of Poviglia has a history chock-full of tragic events going back thousands of years. During the Roman Empire, the island was used to house victims of the plague in order to protect the rest of the country, forcing inflicted people to live and die in isolation. Then, during the medieval era, when the plague returned and killed off nearly two-thirds of Europe's population, Pavilia was once again called upon to take in the sick and dying. Dead bodies quickly began to overcrowd the island, and thousands were dumped into large, common graves. In many cases, the bodies were burned. Some overly cautious Italian communities even got into the habit of shipping away anyone who showed the slightest signs of illness. Many of those people had not actually been infected with the plague at all, and were literally dragged to Bavilia and dumped atop piles of rotting corpses. The terrifying, negative energy that has been left in the wake of these deaths remains, even in the island's very soil. Povilia Island still happens to be home to thriving grape vineyards. Nearly the only people who dare visit the island these days are those who go to seasonally harvest the fruit. Grapevines must do well in ashy soil because it's been said that more than 50% of the island's soil is composed of human ash. Yes, over thousands of years that is just how many people have perished and rotted on this nightmarish island. When a mental hospital was opened on Pavilia Island in 1922, few people were very surprised. However, the arrival of droves of mentally disturbed patients to the island only served to enrich the legend of it being a place to avoid. The isolation and privacy offered by the island also allowed for disreputable scientists and doctors to do as they pleased to their patients. Reports of widespread abuse and heinous experiments began to float back to the mainland, bringing with them the screams of the tortured souls trapped there. Pavilia legend tells of a particularly demented doctor who worked at the island's mental hospital in the early 20th century. His notorious experiments on patients are still shocking when told today. For instance, he believed that lobotomies were a great way to treat and cure mental illness, so he performed lobotomies on numerous patients, usually against their will. The procedures were heinously wicked and painful, too. He used hammers, chisels, and drills with no anesthesia or concern for sanitation. He supposedly saved his darkest experiments for special patients, whom he took to the hospital's bell tower. Whatever he did in there, the screams from those being tortured could be heard across the island. Karma eventually caught up with this wicked doctor. According to the story, the doctor began to suffer his own mental torture and was pursued by the island's multitude of ghosts. 
Eventually, he lost his mind and climbed to the top of the bell tower and flung himself to his death below. There are varying accounts of his death, though. Some say he may actually have been pushed, either by an angry island spirit or by some of his furious patients. Supposedly, a nurse witnessed his fall, claiming that he initially survived, but that a ghostly mist overcame his body and choked him to death. Somehow, the mental hospital remained open until 1968. Many believe that hundreds of thousands of tormented souls still remain trapped on Pavilia Island. From the massive influx of plague victims who were forced onto the island to those who were tortured at the mental hospital that was once stationed there, a sense of sorrow and suffering continues to permeate from the island to this day. In fact, it has even been said that you can still hear their screams. Visitors to Bovelia have been forbidden for decades. Of course, that doesn't stop the occasional thrill-seeker from taking a boat over to the island. Some look at it as a dare. Others are genuinely interested in experiencing a bit of the paranormal. However, all who venture there return shaken. One thing visitors report experiencing is the sensation of being watched. Others report being scratched and pushed by invisible forces. Some entities have even been said to push visitors into walls or chase them down corridors. With a history like that of Pavilia Islands, it stands to reason that the spirits of the tortured patients at the mental hospital would join up with the innumerable spirits of plague victims. Visitors to the hospital during its final years of operation, as well as illegal visitors since then, have reported harrowing paranormal experiences inside the buildings and on the grounds. Visitors report seeing shadows on the walls moving along with them as they explore the decaying facility. And the handful of psychics who have been brought to the island claim there's an energy that can only be described as malignant, with the presence of the angry spirits lingering there so deeply frightening psychics and paranormal experts that most of them refuse to ever return. With more than 100,000 plague victims and mental patients buried on the small island, it's no surprise that human bones continue to wash up on its shores. This fact alone is enough to creep out any potential visitor or buyers. Even fishermen steer clear of Pavilia's shallows for fear of picking up human bones in their nets. There is another part of the sadistic doctor story that is worth mentioning. The legend says that one way or another he fell to his death from the mental hospital's infamous bell tower. Maybe he fell, or maybe he was pushed. However, some elaborate on the legend and claim that the doctor was seized, still alive, by some of his lobotomized patients and bricked up in the wall of the bell tower. Other versions say that patients placed him in the tower after he was dead. Locals to this day claim that the doctor's spirit is still in the tower and will remain there forever and that on a quiet night, if you're listening closely, you can hear him ring the tower bell. When the mental hospital on Pavilia was finally closed in 1968, the island was sold to a private owner. However, he did not have it for very long before selling it to yet another owner. In both instances, the new owners could not bear to spend time there. The atmosphere was heavy and morbid. Strange sounds, combined with all the hauntings that had been reported, 
continued to prevail. As a result, the island was left completely abandoned. It has come up for sale again, but the deals continue to fall through. Maybe prospective owners have heard too many frightening tales in advance. Years after Pavilia Island's mental hospital was shut down, a family decided to purchase the island intending to build a private holiday home there. They arrived and got settled in on the first day, excited to begin their new adventure. But that very first night was filled with such horrors that within hours the family fled, never to return. They reported that their daughter's face was nearly ripped off by an angry resident entity. Amid the numerous reports from illegal visitors is the story of a curiosity thrill-seeker who went to Pavilia with a group of friends. Upon entering the abandoned mental hospital, the illegal tourist reported a heavy sense of dread descend around them, followed by a deep voice that warned, leave immediately and do not return. The visitors immediately complied. This story is not my own story, but my aunt's. Recently, I was talking to my aunt about my own experiences I've had with the paranormal when she told me a very interesting story that happened to her in 1988. Her story goes like this. Back in the winter of 1988, my Aunt Melody lived in rural southern Indiana. In the winter, the roads would get really bad and be covered in black ice. One afternoon, my aunt borrowed my grandma's car to take out on a date because the roads were so bad and her car was a four-wheel drive. My aunt left and only a few miles away she came to one of the large hills that you have to take to get anywhere. She turned down the road when suddenly the car went out from her and she found herself losing control and going into a tailspin. When she stopped the car, it was stalled and was stuck in the middle of the road. My aunt was okay but now worried because the car was stuck and not starting and there she was in the middle of the road. If another car was to come up that hill, just then it would not be able to stop in time and would hit my aunt. My aunt tried again and again to start the car with no luck. While she was there trying to once again move the car and lights suddenly appeared behind her, it was the headlights of a jeep. Out of the old Jeep appeared a tall young man in his early twenties with long blonde hair and dressed in sort of a suit. The thing was, she hadn't heard him approach at all and hadn't seen the lights until that second. He would have had to slam his brakes to stop in time not to hit her, and that should have made a noise no matter what. But there was no warning, he just appeared out of nowhere. He approached my aunt, not really ever giving her a name, but offered to help her. My aunt, just wanting to get to safety off the road, let him, but was still skeptical since the car hadn't started for her. He got in the car, and after a minute or so the car started, and the mystery man slowly drove the car to the side of the road just enough for my aunt to get traction so she could move it. He got out of the car, and my aunt thanked him, surprised at how quickly he'd moved the car, and thanked him again for helping her out, even if she was a complete stranger. The mystery man said, it was no problem, you would do the same, and then went back to his Jeep. My aunt had just got in her car and looked back to see where the mystery man was, but he was gone, 
he hadn't drove past her and she didn't even hear his jeep start up and go back down the hill. He had disappeared, just like he had appeared from nowhere to nowhere. My aunt made it home safely that night and continued to think about the mystery man that had probably saved her life. After she finished her story, I asked her what she believed him to be and she said to me that she believes him to be her guardian angel. She said that he knew she was in danger and came to her rescue. I accepted that and agreed, but I also brought up the fact that I know that several people have died on the area of that road, so is it possible that she was visited and saved by the spirit of someone who died in that same area and didn't want to see it happen to someone else? Either way, whether he was a guardian angel or a spirit, I'd like to believe he saved my aunt that night. We'd all like to think that people are capable of making positive changes, and many are. In the case of Jack Unterwedger, aka the Vienna Strangler, aka Jack the Writer, this was not the case. Released from prison following a murder conviction, Unterwedger was considered completely rehabilitated from his violent urges of the past. Within a year, however, he would kill 11 more women, many of whom were prostitutes. A global manhunt to catch Unterwedger ensued, culminating in a dramatic standoff with police. Johann Jack Unterwedger's troubled relationship with prostitutes supposedly traces back to an early age. He was born in Graz, Austria in 1950. It was rumored that, in addition to being a barmaid, his mother also worked as a prostitute. She was arrested for fraud and was briefly imprisoned while she was pregnant with Jack. After her subsequent arrest in 1953, Unterwedger was sent to live with his grandparents, as he never learned the identity of his father. During his early childhood, Unterwedger began to commit petty crimes, which soon escalated into assaults of prostitutes in his area. Between the ages of 16 and 25, Unterwedger was convicted of 16 crimes, most of which were sexual assaults. He spent the majority of these years in prison only remaining free for months or even weeks at a time. In 1974, Unterwedger committed his first murder. He killed a German citizen, 18-year-old Margaret Schaefer, by strangling her with her bra. He was convicted for the crime in 1976 and was sentenced to life in prison. When Unterwedger confessed to the 1976 murder, he said that he'd envisioned the victim as his mother, causing an intense rage to come over him. While Unterwedger was in prison, he started writing. He wrote poems, short stories, plays, and eventually a widely successful autobiography called Purgatory. It became a bestseller, leading Austrian citizens to campaign for Unterwedger's release, saying that his writing demonstrated his rehabilitation. Some schools even used his book as required reading. He was released after completing the minimum term for a life sentence in Austria, 15 years. After his release, Unterwedger went on a national tour discussing his books on various television and radio shows. He was a celebrity in Austria. He bought a Ford Mustang and donned designer clothes for his press tour. He became a working journalist and reporter, and he even reported on later murders that he committed. His first post-prison murder was that of Blanca Bakova, 
Her body was found floating in the Vatava River near Prague, Czech Republic. Her body was found covered in leaves with a set of gray stockings tied around her neck. Friends had seen her the previous night getting drinks. When they left shortly before midnight, they noted that Bakova was talking to a man in his 40s. A few weeks later, a well-known sex worker in Unterweger's hometown went missing. Her body was found several months later, and she was killed the same way as Bakova. A third woman, Heidi Marie Hammerer, was killed shortly after the others. She was found on her back, also covered in leaves. All three were strangled, either with their bras or stockings. The fourth woman Unterweger killed was different. She, too, was a sex worker, but Unterweger took a different approach in the days leading up to her killing. He called her parents a few times beforehand, and he taunted them about how their daughter earned her living. Her corpse was found six months later. She, like the three previous victims, was also found with lingerie around her neck. Four more prostitutes who worked in Vienna went missing within one month of each other. They were all strangled with an article of their own clothing. It was clear to the Austrian police now that they were dealing with a dangerous serial killer. August Schenner was 70 years old at the time of the slayings. He was a retired investigator who told the Austrian police that the circumstances of prostitutes' deaths reminded him of a killer he'd caught nearly 20 years earlier. That killer was none other than Jack Unterweger. As police began to close in on him, Unterweger was hired by an Austrian magazine to write an article on crime in Los Angeles that focused on the differences between the Austrian and American perceptions of prostitution. While on his trip to Los Angeles, Unterweger went on ride-alongs with the LAPD and gave them insight on catching killers. While seemingly assisting the LAPD, Unterweger also found the time to kill three more women. Each woman was sexually assaulted with tree branches and strangled with their own bras. He went to Miami with his girlfriend, even as the Austrian police collected evidence to prove that Unterweger was the killer. The pair went to collect wired money from a Western Union bank where the police were waiting nearby to arrest him. Proclaiming his innocence, Unterweger spoke to the Austrian media to try to convince viewers he was not the murderer. But this time, the Austrian people were not in Unterweger's corner. He was extradited to Austria, where he would be tried for 11 homicides. He was found guilty of nine of these murders, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Unterweger only served one night of his prison sentence. He committed suicide the night of his sentencing with a rope he made out of his prison uniform. The knot was the same kind he'd used to kill his victims. Because Unterweger never had the time to appeal his conviction, under Austrian law, he is technically considered to be not guilty, as his verdict was not yet legally binding. The man, known as the Vienna Strangler, eluded capture for years, all while he was right under their noses, on their radios, and in their newspapers. If you liked this episode of the podcast, please tell others about Weird Darkness in your Facebook, Twitter, and all other social media. I can't express how much I appreciate you doing that and how beneficial it is to the podcast. If you want to hang out with other listeners of the podcast, you can join our Weirdos Facebook group, which is getting pretty active, and also 
I hold a live listen and chat every Wednesday evening where we all listen to an episode together and chat about it, or chat about anything else that comes up, and I hope to see you Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time in the chat room. You can find both the Facebook group and the chat room at WeirdDarkness.com. You can also find the rest of our social media, audiobooks I've narrated, the Weird Darkness store, and more on the website. You can drop me an email from the contact page, and if you're listening via Apple Podcasts, I would love to read a review from you. SamIM4421 said, For the amount of content this guy turns out, even if it isn't his, on an almost daily basis, I definitely have to give kudos. You got the voice for it, Darren. And then Nevermore65 said, Excellent. Don't change a thing. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. This is my favorite. By the way, Nevermore, I really like that you include Edgar Allan Poe's poem The Raven in your signature. Nevermore. Classy. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Click on Tell Your Story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. All stories in this episode are purported to be true, and you can find source links or links to the authors in the show notes. The Phantom Children of Guilford was posted at Far Shores. Supernatural Feedings was written by Nick Redfern. Black Plague Island was written by Cheryl Adams Richkoff. Angel on Black Ice was by Weirdo family member Burbella. And Poet of Death was written by Shannon Raphael. Weird Darkness is a registered trademark of Marlar House Productions. Copyright Marlar House Productions 2019. If you or your company are ever in need of a professional voice actor, I would love to be considered for your project. You can hear some of my voice work at MarlarHouse.com. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. And a final thought. Next time you're stressed, take a step back, inhale, and laugh. Remember who you are and why you're here. You're never given anything in this world that you can't handle. Be strong, be flexible, love yourself, and love others. Always remember, just keep moving forward. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. The newest audiobook on the audiobooks page at WeirdDarkness.com is Murderous Minds, Volume 4 – Stories of Real-Life Murderers That Escaped the Headlines. Tales of murder and darkness have a way of both terrifying and enthralling us. The line between man and monster is never as definitive or sturdy as we'd like to think. When seemingly ordinary people cross the line between normal behavior and violent acts, it raises the question, what were they thinking? Can your own mind be the key to becoming a monster? What we think, or more importantly, what we believe, can push the boundaries of normal into darkness in unimaginable ways. Whether the beliefs come from misinterpreting organized religion, holding too tightly to old folklore, or letting your imagination run wild, the danger is evident for those unable to keep their minds in check. Murderous Minds Volume 4 follows six chilling stories of faith and imagination gone too far. It's a dangerous reality 
that has reappeared decade after decade with deadly results for those unfortunate enough to wander too close to the flame. The killers of this anthology have the charisma to convince others of impossible things and the insanity to hold those beliefs themselves. These belief systems come at a high price, especially for the victims of belief-motivated crimes. What old-world folklore would drive a man to murder his wife in front of her family? What happens when two teenage girls believe their parents are the only thing stopping them from ruling in another dimension? How did a middle-aged housewife convince an entire community that it was a psychic gift predicting the deaths of her neighbors rather than deliberate doses of arsenic? Does the fear of witchcraft still put lives in danger decades after it stopped being tried in court? These stories and others explore the ways that the human mind can be manipulated into carrying out unfathomable acts of violence and depravity under the guise of strong, indoctrinated beliefs. When evil can come from inside your own head, family, friends, neighbors, and even strangers are not safe. Get your copy today and see how these six tales of strange beliefs turned into horrific murders. Murderous Minds Volume 4 – Stories of Real-Life Murderers That Escaped the Headlines Written by Kelly Gaines and Ryan Becker Narrated by Weird Darkness host Darren Marlar Hear a free sample of the audiobook on the audiobooks page at WeirdDarkness.com.